Well, we're studying the book of Romans, and if you're online, we're glad that you're online. If you're in the gym, we're glad you're in the gym. And of course, I'm so glad you're here as well. As we go deeper into the book of Romans, this morning we're going to start a little differently than we typically have started. What I want to do is read a slightly longer passage. Now, the reason I want to do this is I want you to get immersed in what Paul is saying before we start looking at some of the details. So if you have your Bible or you have a device, it's so important. At Fox Valley Church, one of our core values is the preeminence of God's Word. We believe at Fox Valley Church that what we're going to do right now is a sacred moment. This is God speaking into our hearts. It's not like any opinion It's not like anything you've read all week or seen in the news. This is an authoritative word from God for you. Whether you're online right now or whether you're sitting in here or sitting in the gym, we just want to understand that this is God's word. So I'm going to pick up. We're in chapter 2, verse 17, and I'm going to read all the way then to chapter 3, verse 8. Just follow along, please, as I read. Paul wrote this, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed with the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For just as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, who will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now we're moving into chapter 3, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? 
But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people, under, some people slanderously charge us with saying, with their saying, their condemnation is just. Father, these are a lot of words in a context that most of us probably don't understand and really appreciate. So God, we're going to ask you to blow away the dust and bring clarity to what you want to say to us this morning right out of your word that it would speak to us as your people so that we, your people, would live the way you want us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, of course, we just read this huge section, and it's so important maybe that we, we look a little bit and get a context or by way of review. So I want to just give you a, a way of review uh, by looking at some slides. So here's the first slide I'd like to look at, and that is a people in general, right? This is coming out of chapter 1, uh, verses 18, all the way to the end. I preached this a couple weeks ago. And this is the people talking about Jew and Gentile, all people, men and women, all people. And they, they have this attitude in their heart that says, I know best. I'm the one, right? There, there, there's a focus on the individual. And remember in chapter 1, there might be statements like this, they claim to be wise. And we live in a day when people think that they know everything and they know what's best, even if it's apart from God. They refuse to honor God. In other words, God says, here's the plan, here's what I'm doing. He brings us on the inside, but people will not honor God. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And that was in chapter 1. And Paul is setting all this up. And the end, end game is they worship idols. Now when we say worship idols, I've tried to say over time now that the number one idol in the 21st century, could we just say it this way? On October 31st, 2021, the number one idol in our culture is self. The self is supreme. The self decides. I'll decide what I want to do. I'll decide what's right. I'll decide what's wrong. I'll decide how I want to live. I don't really care if God's word has something to say about it. So the self becomes an idol. Now we know too that there's many little idols underneath that, right? We could make a list of them. Money, jobs, shopping, drugs, alcohol, right? We can make a list of these idols, but the number one idol today, I believe, is the self. Then, last week, Pastor Brad brought us a great message. I got to say, I love listening to my brother preach last week. And this is where he brought us into what he called the moralist. I'm going to call them good people. So what he wanted, what Paul did then was saying, okay, there's this church in Rome. There's all these people. God's saying this, but now he's going to talk about good people. The good people are the ones that say, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Look at me. Interestingly, just last week, I had a conversation with a guy, and he used almost these exact words. And we got into this mucky, cloudy, crazy conversation 
about our culture and how everything is okay. People can do whatever they want to do. And he ends up telling me, I'm good. Look at me. Hey, I'm not like these other people. We compare people, don't we? We could all say yes to that, right? Because we all do it. And everybody ends up on the short end of the stick except for who? Me. <laughs> Moi, right? It's, it's the way we live. Pastor Brad called these the moralizers. These are the people that just think they're all that. They look good on the outside, but inside, there's just not a repentance. There's, there's not a, a humility. There's not a brokenness that says, I need a Savior. So that's what I told the man last week. As he's waxing eloquent that he's going to do what he wants to do, I said, what if, just what if, you're wrong and God has something to say about it? He says, what do you mean? I said, well, and I started to explain. I said, what if God spoke and he wrote down what he wanted us to know about this life and this world? He didn't tell us everything, but he told us some very important things. Would you listen to him, right? And all of a sudden, his world got altered and he got uncomfortable and the conversation came to a close. But what I think happened was I just simply planted a seed, a seed that maybe God has something to say and maybe he's not all that. Tends towards judgmentalism, right? That's, that's what Pastor Brad brought up in a great way last week, was that when we start thinking we're good, then that means others aren't as good and I'll be the judge of that. I'll stand over you. And so that's what we saw last week in chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. We saw a smugness in people. We saw this pride. Now, pride can come out in a lot of ways. It can be really subtle, mostly the way I'm talking about it now, but it can be pompous, it can be priggish, it can be snobbish, it can be just the, I'm better than you, and I know what's good, right? Well, this morning, if I tried to capture it, I would say it this way, there's religious people. Now, Paul is using it in the context of Jews, but... The Jews said, I've got the inside scoop and I'm tight with God. Why? Because they said, we know the Bible and how to behave. And it said, they have a form of godliness, but no real power. And so if we try to capture chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 8, I want to rip it out of just a Jewish context because you could say, well, I'm not Jew. I'm not Jewish by birth. I don't really follow the Old Testament. What does this passage have to do with me? Well, it has something to do with all of us because we're all religious people. Everyone in the world's a religious person. They just worship different things. Sometimes it's just self. So what we want to do is recognize that what Paul was trying to do at the church at Rome, and Pastor Brad brought this out again, was there's this group of people, Gentiles, and there's a group of people, Jews, and they're all in this body. What happens when you bring people together that are very diverse? You get conflict. Conflict. You get disunity. 
We know what that's like in a church, don't we? Come on, we just went through one of the most amazing times in the history of the United States. There's division at every level. Whether you talk politics, whether you talk pandemic, whether you talk vaccine, it just sweeps this. And it's driving a wedge between God's people. God has something He wants to tell us today. I remember when I first came to Fox Valley Church, I thought I knew something. <laughs> it didn't take long before I realized I didn't know what in the world I was doing as a pastor. And it came out, and some of you are old enough to remember this, they called them the worship wars because there was all this traditional worship and then there was the contemporary worship. And there was a generational divide. And I come here, and I'm this young pastor, and the war hit Fox Valley with a vengeance. I wanted to lead in a certain way, and there was a group of people that said, amen, let's go. And there was a group of people that said, whoa, wait a minute, not that way. And all of a sudden, it got really crazy. And here I am in my early 30s, like, what in the world do I do? So I went to the elders and I said, guys, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what to do. It's always good to just lay that out. Just good. And I said, so here's what I'd like to do. I would like to go back to the way Fox Valley was before I came. I'm going to figure this out with the people because this is Fox Valley Church. We're going to get people that are on both sides of the divide, and we're going to bring them together, and we're going to have conversation. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to figure this out, and we're going to honor God through it. And that's exactly what happened. We pulled people together. We prayed. We talked. We prayed. We talked. Prayed some more. Talked some more. But eventually, we came to a place where we said, okay, now we're ready to lead Fox Valley and Fox Valley Church hung together. See, what Paul is trying to do here is recognize that in the church at Rome, there's these groups of people and he needs to bring them together. And that's what he's talking about. That's why there's people in Fox Valley Church, right? They don't see themselves the way God sees them. That's chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, right? That's what we were just talking about. The, the, the people that say this. And, and what I told you was, the number one problem for people in this world is not the G20 this week. It's not the pandemic. It's not all the stuff with the vaccine. It's not the wars. It's not crime. It's not the political divide as serious as all these are. The number one problem that our world faces is that the wrath of God is being poured out on sinners. And that's what God wanted people to know. But he also wanted to know that he loves them so profoundly, he wanted to give them a way of escape. And that's why we spent so much time on the gospel, the good news that brings people hope so that they can escape the wrath of God. And by the way, let's just say it again, there's only one way to escape the wrath of God. That's Jesus Christ. I know we live in a culture that doesn't want to talk about wrath. We like to only talk about a happy God and our God is a very happy God. But let me just tell you, he is pouring out his wrath against all unrighteousness. But the escape is Jesus Christ, and that's the good news. Then last week, we saw 
what we saw with good people. This week, we're going to see the Jews. So now, let's go a little deeper so we can dive into this passage. If you'll join me, I want to look at verses 17 and uh, 17 to uh, 21. And so, so you can see a little bit of how it is. It, it begins with, but if. Now, Paul only used two ifs. And so sometimes we miss out on what he's saying, but what he's doing is he's looking at, in this case, the Jews. What I want to do is say religious people and maybe religious people right here. He's saying, if you call yourself a Jew, can we just take a moment and expand this? If you call yourself a Christian. Did I lose anybody yet? It should be pretty simple, right? And if you rely on the law, and boast in God. If you rely on God's word and you boast in God, these ifs aren't all there, but they're all implied. If you know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the word or the law, the Bible, if you are sure that you yourself are a guide, in other words, hey, I know the truth and I can guide the blind. If you are a light, to those who are in darkness, if you are an instructor of the foolish, if you are a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, look what he does. He then goes to then. Then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You can feel what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring the Jews in that fellowship, and I'm trying to bring religious people in our fellowship. If you call yourself a Christian, are you living like a Christian? Are you doing what God says to do? Or are you living like a hypocrite? And so that's where the Apostle Paul is taking us. He then goes on and he says this, you who boast in the law, I know the Bible. I memorize verses. I go to church. I'm in a small group. I give some money. Should we just keep making the list? You see what he's doing? Is he's bringing you and me right into the passage. You who boast dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Why? Because of you Jews. In other words, you are living apart from the heart that God has given you. You, using what I talked about earlier, are not sitting with people because you love people. You are not loving people. Remember the two greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Paul is doing is bringing them right into this place of saying that you are not living the way you ought to be living. But he's tying it into a Jewish context. And because we can blaspheme God with our words, we can also blaspheme God with our lifestyle. Now, what do churches often want to do? Well, if that's the case, let's start bringing the law to bear on people. 
you got to do this or that to be a good Christian. But that's never God's plan. God wants to work through grace, and we're going to see that more and more as He supernaturally transforms the heart. So let me net it out this way with this first point. Religious people easily, easily blaspheme God, the true God. We blaspheme the true God when we don't live the way God wants us to live. Now, how many examples do I need to give so that we get this? All you have to do is go on Facebook and look at what some Christians are posting and how they're posting. They will drive a wedge between people that love Jesus Christ over political differences. They're real differences, real issues. But is that really how God calls us to engage? And then the watching world, the non-believing world is watching. And they're saying, hey, if that's what Christianity's all about, I don't want it. That's what Paul is saying when he says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And we could just multiply these examples over and over and over again. But let's keep moving. The next point that the Apostle Paul talks about is this. Religious people act like they're all that. Well, he's talking about the Jews. And in verses 25 to 29, he's talking about circumcision. Now, of course, circumcision is ordained by God, right? We, we recognize that. We recognize that circumcision was an outward sign of what was supposed to be an inward transformation. And that's exactly where the Apostle Paul is going. He says, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. He's not trying to bring people into some kind of uh, sense of legalism. He's trying to bring people into there's a heart behind what is supposed to be happening. So if you read the book of Deuteronomy, over and over, God says, circumcise your hearts. It sounds like we're the ones that are supposed to do it. Because in the early part of Deuteronomy, that's exactly God telling us how to live. By the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 6, God says, but I will circumcise your heart. Well, we know today that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God, when we recognize that we are sinners and we need a Savior, the Spirit of God comes into us, changes us, transforms us, and gives us a whole new set of affections so that we will love God from the heart and we will love our neighbors as ourselves. That is only the work of the Spirit and that's where Paul's going. And what the Jews were doing is, well, hey, God chose us as a holy nation and God did, God did entrust them with the word, the Bible, 
God did. He didn't trust the other nations. He said, I'm going to give you the word of God so you can tell people about me. And by the way, I'm also going to give you a sign, circumcision. And the Jews are saying, well, wait, Paul, you want to dismantle all of that. That's why when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, we begin to see something very different. And let me hit my third point here. And that is not it. Here it is. Our only hope is the righteousness of God. Because what does Paul say in chapter 3, verse 1? What advantage has the Jew? If God chose us as a holy nation, and he did, if God entrusted the word, that's what it says, or what is the, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with the Jews, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That phrase, oracles of God, is the entire Old Testament. It's the Old Testament. So now, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, Paul says two things. I want to try to help you see what Paul is saying. The first thing he's saying is that Paul teaching seems to question God and his word for the Jews. Because the Jews had this sense. Hey, God chose us out of all the nations of the world, and he did. God entrusted the Bible to us, and he did. And God gave us circumcision. Paul, it seems like you're teaching something that questions God and his word. And the second thing that Paul gets into is, or the, the challenge is, is Paul's teaching seems to question God's justice. And that's what's going on in chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. So let's just take a moment here, look a little deeper into these two things. Chapter 3, Paul says this, to what advantage is a Jew then? Paul says, much in every way. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. That is, right here, the Bible. What if some were unfaithful. Does their, does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? In other words, what if some Jews didn't live up to the law? Is then God unfaithful? And Paul is saying, by no means. You'll never back God into a corner. You will never, never get God to compromise. You will not get God to switch. That's the whole point is that the Jews were trusted. And what Paul is saying is that he is not compromising God, God's character, God's plan that he's laid out. So he says this, he says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So the Jews, religious people in general, they want to question God. And we see that all the time through these different things that are going on. But let's go into the next section here. Paul says this in verses 5 and 6, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? And this is where the righteousness of God comes. We can never have a righteousness that will achieve satisfaction with God. That's why we need Jesus Christ. And that's where the Apostle Paul is going. That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? No way. We are sinners. But when he talks about the righteousness of God, it's the achievement of God through Jesus Christ. That is why when we, when we come back 
clear that. When we come back to this third point, that God, that our only hope is the righteousness of God, it's through Jesus Christ. It is only by Him and what He has done on the cross. And that's what the Jews were saying is foul, unfair. Isn't it tied to the Old Testament? And God is saying, yes, it's tied to the Old Testament, but it's tied to the fulfillment and the promises in Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus Christ that brings us together. He is our only hope because He is our righteousness. So God looks at you with this great love, this profound love, and He sees, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, the very righteousness of Christ in you. That's where the Apostle Paul is trying to bring the church in Rome and God is trying to bring Fox Valley Church this morning. Is that we don't try to earn our own righteousness. We just fall on our face and say, I don't deserve it. God's character is who God says he is. I don't get to decide who God is. I don't get to say God doesn't have a wrath side to him. I don't get to say that God doesn't have a plan. God says, I've got a plan. I'm moving things forward. The whole world is going to move into a culmination of where God will send His Son, Jesus Christ, back to this earth and settle the scores for everything. That's the hope of the Christian. And so God is who He says He is. And we are who God says we are. And it's never going to change. We need to turn to Jesus Christ. So as we leave this morning for our closing song, let me just say this, that God is at work in amazing ways, transforming us from the heart so that we would live out the way God wants us to live so that we would not be hypocrites, but we would be his people, kind, gentle, loving, caring, wise people in a perverse and crooked generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word. Thank you that you have not abandoned us. Thank you that you have not left us. And so God, as we take these things, would you speak them deeper into our hearts that we would live out these truths in Jesus name. Amen.